0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, April 5th, 2021. I hope that you are refreshed, that you are excited after spending yesterday remembering the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, And even though Resurrection Sunday may be over as we start this new week, guess what? Jesus is still alive. That's kind of the whole point of Easter. He is alive forevermore, and we continue to rejoice in the victory and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I hope that gives you extra excitement to dive into God's word today. And as we do, and even as we spent this weekend remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, events that are central to the gospel message, we really get into a passage today that is crucial in our understanding of the gospel. In fact, I would say it might be one of the most important passages in the entire scripture because of how clearly it lays out the gospel and certain important aspects of the gospel. I'm talking about Romans chapter 3 verses 19 through 31. And so just to review, we remind ourselves of the argument that he is making. He introduces us to this gospel that he's not ashamed of in Romans 1.16, because it's the power of God for salvation, and in it, a righteousness is revealed. Well, then he goes on to talk about how the wrath of God is revealed. And in chapter one, he kind of aims at the pagan godless culture and how the wrath of God is revealed around about them. And then in chapter two, he shifts more to those that would consider themselves religious, even to a Jewish audience that thought, because, well, I know certain things or I do certain things that that makes me okay. And he points out, no, you are still unrighteous as well and headed towards the wrath of God. And we saw in our reading from last week that there is none righteous. And he kind of wraps that all up with the punchline and kind of the prosecution rests its case starting in verse 19 where he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So he's, he's wrapping it up and saying, Hey, the whole world, whether you're a Godless pagan, or whether you think of yourself as religion, the whole or as religious, the whole world is accountable to God. And no one on their own works, no one through the law will be justified in the sight of God. Often that's what we kind of refer to as the bad news. We are sinful and separated from a holy God. And and Paul has now spent these three chapters trying to make that airtight argument that every single one of us has a problem. But that is all setting up where he gets to in verse 21, where now he reveals the solution. He goes into more detail about this gospel that is the power of God for salvation. Starting in verse 21, he says, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How is it that we can be saved? Not by works, not by the law, by faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to explain, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short, but justification, righteousness is going to be not something that you earn. It's going to be something that is given to you because of what Jesus has done, right? That's why theologians sometimes is referred to. This is an alien righteousness. It's not a righteousness that we have. It's not a righteousness that we earn. It is a righteousness that is given to us through Jesus Christ. And how do we receive this righteousness? How do we get it? Through faith. And again, it's based on what Jesus has done. It describes that in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation. And that has the idea really of an atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness as the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And so we see there, Jesus was this atoning sacrifice. That's what we remembered on Good Friday, that he died on the cross for our sins. And that was necessary to show God's righteousness so that he might be, as it says in verse 26, both just and the justifier. Because if God just doesn't punish sin, well, then he's not just. And as I like to often say, if he's not just, he's not good. And if he's not good, he's not God. So he must be just, but he is also the justifier. And how does he do that? Well, Jesus takes our just punishment. But it's because of that, of his perfect righteousness and that he took our sin that he can also be the justifier of everyone that puts their faith in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel, right? We need to understand the bad news that all of us are sinners and we cannot earn our righteousness. We cannot get out of this hole that we have dug. But the good news is Jesus has made a way and he wants to give us righteousness. And that righteousness, though, must be received by faith and not by works. And one practical application that all of us should take away from that today comes very clearly in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith, right? No Christian should be able to set up their life by boasting and acting like, well, I have done it. I have earned it. I got it done. No, what we should be saying is it's all because of Jesus. There is no room to boast in Christianity. It's all based on what Jesus has done and All we've done is put our faith in him. And even Ephesians reminds us that faith is a gift of God. So there's no room for boasting in Christianity, but there's a lot of room for thanksgiving. And so I hope even today that that thanksgiving maybe comes a little easier to you after spending this weekend remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But may we go into today amazed at the gospel, into this new week eager to share the gospel, and go into this week full of gratitude and low on boasting or pride, remembering that the good news is all about what Jesus has done. He is the source of this righteousness that we receive. He is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, right? And really we see that as being an example of God's righteousness, the just and the justifier. And so, as we think about that, may we start this week with praise, with eagerness, with gratitude, and without any boasting in our lives. But one thing we all know is that from time to time in life, or maybe even often in life, there will be hard times. There will be times where we are down or we are discouraged. And that's one reason why I love the Psalms. And that's another reason why I even love that we are in the Psalms every day, In this particular reading program. And today we start a Psalm that might be particularly encouraging for those that might be discouraged. And that is Psalm 42, where we start with verses one through five. And this is familiar, maybe due to songs that have been written, but it starts by saying, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And he clearly goes on to talk about how frustrated he is. In verse three, he talks about my tears have been my food day and night. Now I want us to ask, what is the source of this man's sorrow? Well, He's talking about the passion that he has for God. He talks about his soul thirsting before God. In verse two, he says, when shall I come and appear before God? In verse four, he remembers how he would go and lead this procession of people to the house of God in this setting of corporate worship. So it seems that what is particularly bothering the psalmist is that he has somehow been separated from his community, separated from this corporate worship of God. And because he loves God and because he loves worshiping with God's people, he is down. And so for starters, I'd like us to think about that. Many times we're discouraged really for reasons that revolve around ourselves. And one thing that hopefully we start to grow in is to have more and more of a passion for God. And really, our focus is on Him and not just on our circumstances, not just on our desires. But our desires are focused on the Lord. We, we thirst for Him. We hunger to be with His people, worshiping Him and living in harmony with them. But whatever the source of your discouragement is, whether it is, you know, something that is legitimately frustrating in your life or whether there's just some spiritual difficulties in your life right now, the psalmist gives us a great example in verse five when he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so we see there that, Even though he is down, and we talk about this often on this podcast, that one thing we need to do when we're discouraged is be careful to not just listen to ourselves, but to talk to ourselves. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He is talking to himself and reminding him, hey, you need to hope in God because we are going to praise him again. He is our salvation. He is our God. So as you face discouragement today, may you turn your heart to God and talk to yourself, remind yourself of the truth of his word and the power of his promises. And I hope that encourages your heart today. Now, as we continue in the book of Deuteronomy, there's one particular thing that stood out to me as we read chapters 21 and 22. In chapter 22, it talks a lot about sexual sin and sexual immorality and how that was to be treated. And if you were to take a poll of people on the street and ask them, hey, what does the Bible say or what does Christianity believe about sexual immorality? Most people probably have an understanding that, oh yeah, it's a bad thing. And unfortunately, that's getting, that line is getting blurred more and more today, even with Christians approving of sexual sin. But I think still there's an understanding. Oh yeah, the Bible, it's not big on sexual immorality. And that's certainly confirmed by this passage, even where it talks often about the sexual sin being punished by death. And there's a phrase that even comes up repeatedly in chapter 22 as it talks about this capital punishment for this sexual sin. It says, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, right? That this was a good thing to get rid of this evil out of the nation of Israel. Well, that phrase is used somewhere else, but it's not describing uh, something that is a sexual sin. It's also used when it describes what parents should do with a rebellious son. And it says there to bring them before the elders and of the city and to say, this is our son. This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. And then here's that phrase again. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel shall hear and fear. And so as we see that, we need to, again, remember, we live in a different culture. These were laws given to a a nation. Uh, So we're not to be out trying to exact all the punishments described here. But what we do see is God hates sexual sin. But I think we already knew that. But do we realize that it's similar phrases that God uses to describe how he hates Rebellion and disobedience towards parents that God feels that same way about glutton and tr- gluttony and drunkenness. I think those are things maybe that should help up because help us because many times those sins seem to be not a big deal to people today. Disobedience to parents, ah, oh, whatever. Everybody's that way. Gluttony, drunkenness, somehow those can be acceptable. No, God hates those things. And may that be a good reminder to us today. Finally, we read in Matthew 26 verses 47 through 56 about the arrest of Jesus. And the account of Matthew reminds us of how one of those who were with Jesus took out his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know from the other gospels that was Peter, but we see Jesus clearly going along with this arrest. And we know that Jesus had the power to call down angels. He reminds them of that. So clearly Jesus was committed. Jesus was not forced onto the cross. He willingly went to the cross and he went to fulfill prophecy. He went so that he could be that atoning sacrifice, that propitiation for our sins, as we read in Romans chapter 3. So may this just be another reminder to us of the beauty of the gospel, of the atoning sacrifice that we have through Jesus Christ to be received by faith. And may that fill us with joy as we start this new week after celebrating Easter.